Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. And Tim, uh, have you seen the movie Un- Uncut Gems? You know, I, I haven't. I saw your tweet about it. It made me think about watching Uncut Gems, but I, I still haven't gotten around to it. I Oh no, I can't spoil it. It's a great movie. It's a great movie, and and Adam Sandler. I, so I, I I can't make this comp because it will be too much of a spoiler for you. Uh, and I'm not worried about spoiling things for our listeners because it's an old movie. But I like you, and I want you to enjoy that movie. Uh, needless to say, I think there's a strong parallel between the ending of that movie and what I would say is almost certainly the ending of the Mets' pursuit of the NL East pennant. I will say, you know what movie I have seen before? Last weekend series in Atlanta. You know, it was uh, very very similar to... uh, Great segue. Yeah, very similar to what we have, uh, what people of a certain age remember uh, about big Mets series in Atlanta in September and October. Uh, you know, I, I worked with David O'Brien, our, our Atlanta writer, uh, ahead of the series, you know, talking to players from the late 90s and, and early 2000s about those rivalries, those rivalry series and how Atlanta always came out on top uh, in those those games. You know, the 98 sweep to end the season when the Mets just needed one win and Atlanta was not playing for anything. Uh, the 99 losing five out of six and almost costing that's the wild card in the process. Of course, the NLCS that year. Uh, the kind of underrated 2001 uh, losses to Atlanta. I think a pair of Armando... I think actually one was a Benitez blown save. The other might have been a John Franco blown save. I forget. The Brian Jordan Grand Slam. You know, just... Uh, uh, Turner Field was for so long a house of horrors for the Mets that, you know, kind of a, a new generation of Mets players, a new ballpark uh, in a different area of the Atlanta metropolitan area, uh, and new ownership, and, and the way the Mets had played so long this season that they could, you know, that, that would have been a very fitting end for them to kind of exercise that demon uh, from a, a generation prior to, to win the division, and unfortunately it went as, as badly as it could have. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a lot to that, and we can we can chalk it up to whatever bad mojo the Mets have had in Atlanta for for a long time. But for one thing, I mean, the Braves are a very good team. They showed that certainly. Like I I don't know that you can say oh the Mets just totally bungled it and looked horrible and and didn't you know didn't put up any sort of fight uh, because there were moments when it seemed like they they might climb back into those games. But also, I mean, at a at a bottom line, and and I don't. 
Uh, I don't personally think this is something to hold against any of these players because I think baseball is just sort of a, a very fickle thing. But uh, the Mets had you know Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer lined up to start the first two games of that of that series. Neither had an especially great outing. Uh, and, you know, their two best position players, I think, or, or at least their two biggest stars as position players, uh, healthy position players, at least in, in Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, uh, didn't really hit at all in the series. And so, you know, I don't think it's that those guys can't show up in big spots, but they didn't show up in this big spot. Yeah, I mean, they were they were outplayed for, for three games. They they weren't good enough. Uh, it's right. pretty straightforward how it went. I, I think you're concerned. It wasn't like you can't say like, oh, the umps killed them on this one. And oh, it was a, a bleeder that beat them here. Like, they just got beat. They got beat in all three games. Yeah, and... You know, I'm 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 not particularly interested in like a debate over the magnitude of the Mets collapse. Does it count as a collapse? Is it a fade? Is it a swoon? Is is it any no. of those things? Like I'm not yeah. I'm not into that that semantic debate. The, the Mets did not need to collapse or anything uh, over the final two months of the season for Atlanta to catch them. Like like Atlanta played really well. Uh, we all know that, uh, but. You know, I, I wanted to point that out. Even we had a listener uh, call in on on Friday's show and say, like, well, they're only five and three in their last eight. Five and three is a hundred win pace, <laughs> you know. And and someone had pointed out, I think, coming into the season, maybe they were, uh, or maybe it was in the. Uh, I saw fifteen and twelve thrown around, and like fifteen and twelve is like still pretty much a playoff pace, right? You know, it, it's. And I think, you know, I've seen uh, other people mention, you know, the Mets didn't lose the division this weekend in Atlanta. They lost it by not playing better against bad teams. You know, the, you, you look back at, at where they were in mid-August. They had seven remaining games against Atlanta. And if they had won two of them, they would have controlled their own destiny. That's, you know, you go one and six in that against against team. You don't deserve to win the division. You don't deserve to control your own destiny. They, they need more help. We're recording this Tuesday morning. They, they still need three wins against Washington and, and two more Miami wins against Atlanta uh, to, to have a kind of miraculous comeback here. I think the, the bigger, you know, rather than kind of relitigating uh, what they've done over the last two months, the, the bigger issue is the way that that series over the weekend kind of exposed the issues you thought might crop up in a postseason series against a good team. You know, we, we hear this every year about teams that have really good starters. Like, I remember it going back to, you know, when the, the Mets were in the postseason in 2006, uh, and, like, you were worried about the Padres getting to the NLCS because they had Jake Peavy and Chris Young and what they might do to you. Uh, like, teams that rely overly on two really good starting pitchers, uh, like, it doesn't, you know, starting pitchers don't dominate you in the postseason the way they used to. Uh, it's you know the Mets saw that in 2015 when they played the Dodgers like they, they faced Kershaw and Greinke four times in the division series they won the series anyway uh, they split those four games uh, and those guys were as good as anyone could be at that at that stage so uh, I, I don't think in a, a short series that that having two starting pitchers guarantees you anything <laughs> the Mets saw that over the weekend they don't hit for enough power I mean like that that series I, I think one of the comments on my one of my stories was like that series seemed designed to reveal how much you need to hit for power in in modern day baseball we can we can say that we appreciate and enjoy the Mets style of offense more it it, it to me it's more aesthetically pleasing uh, at times uh, but you need to hit for power you're not going to string together four and five hits consistently against good starting pitching. Uh, you know, the Atlanta hit seven home runs. The Mets had four extra base hits in three games. That was the difference in the series. Um, you know, and and 
I think that's your concern going into the postseason is do you have guys who can hit for power uh, against good, you know, if you're facing you uh, Darvish on Friday, facing Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler, like how are you going to hit the ball out of the ballpark to score runs? Well, and another thing I think the series exposed, and, and you know, in Friday night's game, I was I was pretty happy to see Buck Showalter, like we've been talking for so long about these these last spots on the postseason roster and and who's he's going to use in in what spot and does he have faith in the the young players or is it you know and I was sort of uh, intrigued and encouraged to see Showalter go to Tyler McGill when the when the, you know there was the game was still winnable uh, to go to Francisco Alvarez in a big spot that called for a right-handed bat uh, those guys didn't really show up either and. You know, if you're hoping, oh, at least one of these decisions might be made easy by a player stepping up, uh, it hasn't happened. And now you only have uh, a doubleheader Tuesday night against uh, Tuesday afternoon and and night against the Nationals and a game against the Nationals Wednesday uh, to shore up those decisions. The Nats aren't going to give you a great look. You're not going to have that spot. And so uh, whereas if McGill came in and was a shutdown guy on Friday night, I think uh, you feel pretty good about going to McGill in the postseason, maybe. Now you don't. Yeah, there, there were certainly times during that series. Uh, I, I do. I, I imagine there are people listening who did not share your enthusiasm for Tyler McGill pitching. For sure, uh, and for that, sure. That but but my, yeah, my take was just like you got to You got to try. You're going to need this guy in that spot at some point in the postseason, or you're going to need someone at some point in that spot in the postseason. You think, right? And so, and and if McGill want like. We've been saying all year, McGill has the stuff to do that. He seems to have the demeanor to do that. It hasn't clicked yet. And so, like, I don't know. To me, it was like, that's faith in your guy. That's saying, okay, like, we believe you could be our guy for this spot. Here's this spot. Let's see how you do with it. And he didn't do it. Yeah, and I, I do think there were a couple of moments in that series where uh, the, the thought passed my mind. And then in reaching out to people across the game the last couple of days, uh, it definitely crossed their minds that, Man, it really reiterated that the Mets did not do enough at the trade deadline. And, and we talked about it at the time, I wrote it at the time, that that bullpen felt an arm or two short. And there's a reason like they're spending the month of September auditioning for postseason roles. It's because the, the bullpen is an arm or two short. Um, there's, you know, it, it felt like they could have done more uh, to supplement the offense at DH and at catcher. Uh, and it certainly feels that way still today, uh, you know. The, the the at-bats that, that James McCann has had lately have looked have looked especially bad, even within the context of how, how much he's struggled this season. Uh, you know, they've gotten just nothing from the right-handed DH position uh, for two months, basically. Um, so, you know, it was kind of hammered home watching. I'm trying to, I mean, they've, they've really, like, they should have stuck with J.D. Davis, right? Like, that's that's the, I mean, that you know, we talk about not doing enough at the trade deadline. J.D. Davis is a better right-handed hitting option than anyone they've got right now. Yeah, and, and you know, Davis has turned it on in San Francisco. It's, you never know how much, like, the, the trade itself is right. the reason. It's hard to extrapolate what he would have been had he been here. It's, it's he would have been better than what they've gotten. Uh, it, that that right. seems easy I mean, enough to you, say. Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even, I, I, I'm not doing the, the post-hoc thing, because that's, then you say, oh, they should never trade for, Francisco Lindor, right? Because Andres Jimenez and and Ahmed Rosario are are doing more collectively than he did. Lindor has been great for the Mets, and I don't think you can look back on that trade and say they shouldn't have made it. Uh, with the with the Davis one, like 
Oh, this has worked out so poorly that all you needed was him to continue performing at his 2022 Mets level, and he would have been a lot better than the trio of Vientos, uh, Ruff, and and Alvarez right now. Yeah, and then, and then I think you looked at like Atlanta's bullpen, and you know if you if you were matching up these two teams, you would say that one of the areas where the Mets had a distinct edge was in the ninth inning with their closer, certainly Diaz over Kenley Jansen. Jansen's probably the weakest link in that Atlanta bullpen, but the bullpen ahead of that uh, is, is definitely an advantage for Atlanta, and, and that showed, you know, you look at the, like the, the Rizal Iglesias trade, which we talked a, a little bit about in, in August as the kind of deal that would have been interesting for the Mets to pursue because it was really just a financial issue. I mean, and as evidence of that, like Rysel Iglesias got three holds in that series. The get one of the guys they traded for Rysel Iglesias, Jesse Chavez, who's back with them, also got a hold in the series. Uh, so they got four holds out of that trade. Uh, you know, a guy like Colin McHugh, who the Mets, uh, you know, seemed like seemed like would be of interest to the Mets at some point in the offseason, uh, pit- pitched in a couple of spots for Atlanta as well. So it just... It, it felt like they didn't, you know, going back to November, we've talked about how the bullpen has felt a little short. And uh, that's not the reason they lost the series. They, they were not in a, the bullpen was not in a position to you know, protect any leads at any point in the series. Uh, but it, it just kind of hammered that home again. That Man, they, it feels like outside of Adovino and, and Diaz and, and maybe Seth Lugo, there's just not a lot of trustworthy arms there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't kill him for not signing McHugh, if only because McHugh's an Atlanta guy, and, like, at, well, I don't know what he is, 34, 35, like, maybe that's, like, we don't know if there was pursuit there, and he just said, like, I want to go home and try to win a championship with the team I grew up watching, you know, so, but but you're right, I mean, Iglesias has been, have you seen his stats for the Braves? Uh, they're hard to. It's hard to see that ERA. It's, it's a small number. Zero zero point three six. He's allowed one earned run in twenty five and a third innings. Talk about like the change of scenery working out for someone, uh, or like whatever the Braves do to make Jesse Chavez suddenly a guy with a two hundred ERA plus. Like you know, like they they have traditionally been really good with pitching uh they have maintained that and yeah like you said that bullpen is scary and i think again if you're doing like you know post hoc analysis and you're trying to relitigate the series you say oh well you know starling marte and you wrote about this marte is a big piece of the mets offense that's been missing that we thought would be back by now that now i think we have some concerns won't be back certainly for the wild card series if even uh if they get there the the divisional series if he's not swinging a bat and he's not throwing um but on the brave side of things spencer strider was one of their best players this year he's one of their best pitchers he's out too so you can't just say like oh well the mets had this injury the braves had injuries too yeah and, and they won the world series last year without ronald acuna jr so right um yeah i, th- I think on Marte, by the way so on monday he did take some swings two-handed swings off of uh short toss um, which I don't know the distinction between short toss and soft toss. I believe short toss is also soft. Uh, but is it o- maybe it's overhand? Maybe that's the different right? Because soft toss, I think you're you're underhand. That's true. Are we guessing? Maybe that's I the distinction. Maybe, uh, just yeah. But that uh, it did not go well. Um, so uh, that's almost worse than him not having done it in the first place. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to see him playing in a game on Friday. Uh, they're, they're talking more now about pain management. Uh, and oh, kind of no. just getting yeah. through it, so it's uh, you know, and that that makes me think that you know, even when he comes back, it's going to be at a, a pretty significantly reduced version of himself as a hitter, at least, uh, and that's 
you know that that clearly takes away from the, the Mets offense is built to be this kind of uh, deeper lineup that needs everyone that needs a, a, a not everyone but a lot of those pieces clicking at the same time and losing Marte is losing a very big cog in that that machinery uh, as I pointed out in, in my story Monday he's been their best hitter against good pitching all season mm-hmm. you know he's he's been their best you know, I looked up stats against uh, the, the the best pitchers in baseball this season and, and Marte was not just the Mets best hitter but one of the best in all of the sport uh, you know Mark Cannon and Jeff McGill have also been good in that that regard uh He's been the best again. He's been, I think, the second best on the team against guys who are probably going to be National League postseason starters behind Pete Alonso. Uh, and so that's, you know, we, we talked this is a while ago, maybe six weeks ago, about like what kind of hitters work for you in the postseason. And it's not the guys who kind of stockpile their numbers against against bottom level pitching. It's the guys who do well against really good pitching. Starling Marte mm-hmm. is that guy. And it there's something about it that feels especially depressing with Marte because it's like the the thorn in the lion's paw. Like how many push-ups did this guy do across the season, and how you know like how many carbs did he has he eaten since 1997 for him to now miss the postseason or possibly miss a postseason series because of a broken finger? Like the strongest guy. This is this guy looks like the maybe the best athlete in baseball, and you know one little thing. It's one. Little finger. You think if he was a football player, he might be Ronnie Lott. He cut it off, right? But uh, but you you can't you can't throw, you can't hit if your finger's broken. And like what a what a sad and minor thing. You know, we worry about the hamstrings and the knees and the shoulders and the oh, a broken finger. That's gonna take down the Mets, that a uh, hundred win Mets team, and then you're gonna shrivel up and die because Starling Marte broke his finger. And and you know the Buck Walter talked about it all season long that. As, as angry as he was about how often they were getting hit by a pitches, which, again, I, I just have to reiterate, was like part of the blueprint for this team. You don't, Definitely you don't by arrange design. this many guys yeah. who get hit by a lot of pitches and expect I not mean, to Canada's get hit by a lot of lead, pitches. Canada leads the, leads the league or he's among the league leaders like every single year. That's something you you had to know was going to happen when you brought him in. Yeah, Canna, Marte, Nimmo, McNeil, the, all of those guys have been hit by a lot of pitches over the course of their careers, not just this year. Uh, I think if you add it all up, they've been hit by like a handful of pitches more than you would expect given their career rates. Um, but, uh, you know, Showalter had said that, that as angry as he was about how often they were getting hit, they had been very fortunate and that they had not suffered, you know, no one had suffered uh, a really serious injury from it. You know, Alonzo and Lindor had been hit up up near the face and had missed a game each and, and, and come back from that. Uh, and, you know, I remember doing a story a few years back that was like the thing that you worry most about uh, in terms of getting hit is uh, beyond getting up, getting hit by the, in the head uh, is your hands because there are so many bones in there that can break. Uh, and when they do, they really impact your ability to swing a bat. Uh, and it's just unfortunate. The Mets, you know, they've been so, so fortunate in terms of position player health this year that really until Marte's injury, the only guy who'd missed a significant amount of time was McCann. And he's obviously in the midst of, of a, a poor season for him. Uh, so yeah, they, they, you know, they'd had basically the top seven or eight guys in their lineup pretty consistently throughout the season. You know, they missed Escobar and Guillaume for some time, but not significant. And uh, now to, to lose, you know, an all-star, a guy who's been uh, such a, a critical piece for them for this stretch of time and, and longer than they expected uh, has is unfortunate. Longer than expected and this particular window, right? Like when this is when the when and again, like 
games you win in May count every bit as much as games you win in September, but it feels worse when the losses pile up at the end of the season. And, and they don't count as much as the games in October, in starting right. October 7th. Uh, and yeah. so if, you know, if, if Marte is unable to be there for that, then, then it, it's really, it's really rough for them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because, and and this may be immaterial by like six forty-five tonight. But the the Nationals helped the Mets out with a with a shutout win over the Braves on Monday, while the Mets were rained out. If or I'm, I'm sorry, not the Nationals, the the Marlins. The Mets have the Nationals. Uh, I'm getting my Annalise bottom dwellers confused. So if the Mets are in position, if the Braves lose uh, on Tuesday and the Mets sweep the doubleheader. And they have a chance at winning the division on Wednesday. How do they go about it? Do you, do, you, do you try to play for that? Do you do everything you can to get that win, even if it's going to tax you for wildcard series starts Friday, right? Right. So the, you know, the question is basically, do you start Jacob deGrom? Uh, deGrom is in line to start Wednesday uh, after having started on, on Friday. So that would be a normal rest start for him. If he were to start on Wednesday, uh, he would be, you presume, unavailable for the entirety of the wild card series because uh, those games are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. <laughs> Even Sunday's game three, you would need DeGrom to come back on three days rest, which he's never done in his career. Uh, right. You know, maybe you say, okay, we'll start DeGrom and pitch him a little bit, like two innings or something. That, like a that, day. that gets, I, I don't love that idea um, because it's it kind of uh, a compromise that leaves you in. It leaves you compromised both both games. It leaves you compromised for the the wild card series and in that uh, one game that you you want to win, um, you know. And Degrom is he especially seems like such a finely tuned guy, right? Like he, we know we know he's pretty particular about his between starts routines. Like I I don't know. It feels like it feels like getting a little bit cute. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, Miami, I, I don't know that they've named a starter for Wednesday. That that was Sandy Alcantara's day. Uh, and you wonder, like, if if they were starting Alcantara, uh, who should win the National League Cy Young Award, uh, that might make you want to start DeGrom a little bit more because, hey, you know, like, the Marlins' chance of winning that game is significantly higher than it is if they're starting uh, TBA or TBD Can even you- at this point. It might be a bullpen game for them. Uh, so. Could you swing? You know how you know how they do trades for like future considerations a lot of time. Could you be like, hey, Marlins, like we're gonna give you our number fifteen <laughs> prospect if you just give Sandy Alcantara the start. <laughs> like, could they could they make that trade? Is that a, is that a legal trade? Like, oh, considerations. You know, it, it's funny because Showalter is is obviously uh, has a, a relationship with Don Mattingly from their their time you know coming up in the Yankee system together, and then as Mattingly's manager at the end of his career, uh, and. Uh, he had said that they, you know, when Miami was was in New York last week, he had talked to to, to Mattingly a bit about different things, and you wonder how much he, he brought up that idea, like, hey, just so you know, we'd really appreciate it if Sandy started on Wednesday. The, you know, the Marlins have said he's not going to. Uh, I don't think that's Mattingly's choice, actually. You know, his decision necessarily. Uh, and, it's a that's that's also sort of a curious thing, and like I get it. Like, why would you risk Alcantara for on behalf of Game One Sixty Two when you're long out of it? But like, if you're going by that logic, they could have shut him down at the end of August. Yeah, you know, it is one of the things that I appreciate more about uh, the Major League Baseball season than, uh, for instance, like the NBA season. Like any team that's out of it in the NBA, all of the good players take like the last month off, um, right. and you know that doesn't happen in baseball. Like you've got uh, Alcantara pitching for Miami through, uh, I guess, the last week of the season, if not quite the last game. Uh, like It's not like the Angels have sat Shohei Otani because, you know, oh, we just got to make sure that he's healthy for next year. Uh, you get to see these guys through 162 games. And uh, it would be, you know, it would certainly up the drama, uh, especially, you know, if, if the two teams arrived at Wednesday with uh, the division still up in the air and, and Atlanta having to face the presumed Cy Young winner. But... Uh, that that's not going to be the case. Yeah, and and in baseball, it sort of makes sense that it wouldn't be like the NBA. I feel like NBA players are paid based on what you're going to expect them to do on the court on a per-game basis, whereas baseball players are more paid for what they can do over the course of a season. And so if you're Alcantara and they come to you and say, like, well, we think we can compete next year, and so it's best for you to, to, to shut it down August 20th, you say, well, heck no. I want, you know, like, that's going to cost me $2 million when I hit, at least when I hit free agency, if people look back and see I only pitched 170 innings this year. So the players are more invested because they stay like, you know, and like you'll hear, I'm sure Buck Showalter says it, like never trust anything you see in March or September. But these September games for guys on the teams who are who are out of it, like they count. And, you know, when it's all said and done and when when it comes time for free agency or it comes time to sign a new minor league deal or whatever it is, like Every team's going to look at your stats, and every team's going to see, uh, you know, how you did for the season. And and I don't know that a lot of them are going to be like, well, let's just eliminate that because he got a he had a hot stretch in September. Yeah, that's interesting. But I hadn't thought of the, that. You you look at an NBA's player stats on a per game basis all the time. Um, and look, it's as mad as a, a Mets fan might be that Alcantara is not going to pitch that game. Like the, the guy's thrown so many more innings than anyone else yeah. in the National League mm-hmm. in, in baseball. The, you know, I haven't looked at it's the most innings in baseball in a few years, I believe. Uh, yeah. That you really can't, you know, you can't get as mad about it. It's it's not like they're shutting a guy down with uh, you know 160 innings or something. Uh, at this point, he's he's 
they've worked him really hard and he's he's rewarded that um the, the question i have for you so let's 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 stop this talk uh, about yeah. the <laughs> about winning the division let's let's focus on the more realistic aspect i've got uh two questions for you Wh- which do you want first the mets question or the opponent question uh opponent, opponent question uh do you want the phillies or the padres in the wild card series the phillies yeah i think i think it's pretty clear that you want the phillies <laughs> Well, it's like it's the devil, you know, a little bit, you know, like and, and like you just you feel but like we know and there's like we just lo- we just watched the Mets get beat up because they allowed too many home runs over three days like the Phillies can do that to you. But there are just like so many glaring holes in the Phillies. And and because as you know, if you're watching the Mets, you've seen the Phillies so many times this year, like, you know what those weaknesses are. Padres have weaknesses, too, for sure. But uh, the Padres have more guys who have, like, wildly underperformed, right? Like, they're getting in despite Juan Soto not doing what he could do, despite Josh Hader not doing what he can do. Um, and so you worry, I would say, you get to the playoffs and those guys find their levels. And then you're you're looking at, like, a potential juggernaut team, because that's what that is on paper. Um, whereas versus the Phillies, like, these guys, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, they're not going to suddenly become great defenders. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I think... You know, kind of independent of uh, how the Mets have played the two teams this year, and they're fourteen and five against the Phillies, and they lost the season series to the Padres. Um, you know, you, the the Mets, the, the Phillies are the type of team the Mets have exploited uh, this season. You know, the the poor defense that that you give the Mets extra outs that helps that offense score more runs. Um, and then you know, like I would say, Aaron Nola has had a better year than you, Darvish, but. If I'm the Mets, I would much rather face Aaron Nola than you Darvish because right. you Darvish uh, befuddles them every time they face him. Uh, and they went 9-0 and against a game started by Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler this season. Although that seems like the kind of stat that gets thrown in their face uh, when they that's lose a two fluke. games. The that's division. a fluke, right? Like that's, that's, yeah. that's Because those guys haven't you know. pitched poorly against them. Right, um, and and that's that is exactly, and I was going to bring that up. Like that's for I would bet that if you go back and find every situation where one team dominated the other in the regular season, you'd find little to no correlation uh, to how that how that worked out in the postseason series. Yeah, I mean the the eighty eight Mets and the Dodgers eleven and one, I think, in the regular season against them. Uh, so I, I think it is it is Philadelphia who is uh, as we speak one game behind San Diego, but owns the tiebreaker. So if Philly outperform San Diego over the last two games of the season. It will be Philadelphia uh, who gets the number five seed. Uh, tonight, both teams have, have interesting pitching matchups because the Phillies face Verlander in Houston uh, and the Padres face Carlos Rodon uh, and the Giants. Uh, so the other question I had for you is is a Mets rotation question. Okay, so let's say that DeGrom does not pitch on Wednesday. Uh, the Mets are playing in the wildcard series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You have uh, a couple different ways you could set up your rotation. Um you can set it up with DeGrom and Scherzer going in games one and two, whatever order you want, and Chris Bassett going in game three, uh, in which case, you know, by the time you get to the division series, let's say, you know, if you win your wildcard series, whoever you play in the division series, uh, you can't start DeGrom or Scherzer in game one, which means you can't start them in game five, which means you only get two starts out of those two guys rather than three. The other option is you split them up in the division, in the wildcard series, and you pitch Chris Bassett in game two. Uh, and you save either DeGrom or Scherzer for Game 3 in the hopes that you sweep the wild card series, uh, and then you have one of your aces for Games 1 and 5 of the Division Series in L.A. Uh, that feels like it could be too cute, uh, and uh, there that opens up the possibility that 
uh, you lose game one and you go into an elimination game on game, game two with a well-rested Max Scherzer or Jacob deGrom not pitching for you. Wait, uh, but why can't they Why can't they make that decision after game one? Because that seems like the answer, right? Like if you, if you just, like Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett are smart adults, right? Like if you just said like, this is how, this is exactly the scenario, just they can play the tape of the Metrospective podcast of you outlining it, right? And be like, hey, look, like we, oh, everybody here knows that like Max is uh, higher than Chris in the rotation. Chris, we really love the work you've been doing. It's not a slight to you. This guy's a Hall of Famer. You know that, right? So like if we lose game one with DeGrom on the mound, we're going to need Max for game two because we can't lose game two with, with Max and, uh, on the bench. Uh, if we win, I think you can go with Bassett and hope that you win game two and you can, you can go with Scherzer twice in the, in the DS. You can do that. It's just I, I don't love the idea of messing with guys' routines that way. Like I, That's fair. You know, I, I'm actually interested, and this might be a question that I asked today, uh, is like what has DeGrom's routine been the last couple of days? Is he, is he right. all geared up to make his Wednesday start? Uh, or has it been a little bit tinkered because of the possibility that he doesn't and he has to start two days later or three days later, or four days later? Um, you know, it's I guess we do see this in the postseason where you go into uh, a given day as a starting pitcher, not knowing if you're going to start tomorrow or two days from now. Uh, right. And and you're right. These are veterans who and are there probably, are rainouts, right? Like these are these are guys who like they, it's not like they've never had to adjust before. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I, I did wonder if like the way they played around with the rotation ahead of that Atlanta series uh, and, and the long layoffs that that a couple off days uh, required of them uh, did mess with them a little bit. You know, like Bassett was uh, like I think DeGrom pitched OK, uh, just gave up some home runs. Scherzer mm-hmm. was off mechanically. Bassett looked, I think, as bad as he has all season. Just from yeah. the start of that game, like you could tell, uh, you know, McCann is setting up low and into a righty, and Bassett's missing high and away, and that was not something that we saw him do uh, most of the year. Uh, he just seemed off right, right, right I think from the you start. Have to, uh, yeah, I think you have to wipe out that weekend. Like I don't think you can you can let that uh, influence your decision for the postseason too much. Because those are three good pitchers. Right. I, I just wondered, like, did playing around with with when they were going to start um and maybe they knew oh yeah all along like their routines were not actually that different because they said you know chris bassett started on friday in oakland and they said okay you've got atlanta sunday night prepare that way um but that that's one of the issues you run into is is how much can you tinker with these guys routines uh it, i think i think the answer is probably a lot uh but that's just something to consider well, when it's in the name of the postseason, too, I think guys are willing to go a little, you know, to, to be a little more flexible. Like, I remember uh, when R.A. Dickey was having his Cy Young season, one of the things that caused a little bit of resentment among his teammates was that the Mets were sort of, you know, catering the schedule to uh, get Dickey as many outings as possible and, and sort of uh, line him up for the Cy Young Award when they had nothing else to play for. And so, you know, the other pitchers on the staff were like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm playing for a contract here. And, and, I think got got a little bit upset for that. I think when the postseason is in play, it's it's a different story. Yeah, I mean it is a just a, a team oriented pursuit there, uh, but I, I think that's an interesting conversation for them to have uh, before a, a wild card series. Is you know I think the way they've set up the rotation suggests that Degrom would be the game one starter. Do you then go with Bassett in game two and and hope that you can win both games, uh, and then you have Scherzer for uh, a game one Tuesday in L.A. Degrom in game two. Uh, and then, you know, Scherzer coming back in game five. 
Yeah, I guess if Atlanta's going to win the division, you'd like them to do it tonight so you can clear up the Wednesday thing. Uh, we have two quick questions, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, they're both very straightforward. First one is a Mets question. It's from Adam. It's via email. If you've got a question by email, you can email asktedberg at gmail.com. Adam wants to know, are players left off the postseason roster still allowed in the dugout during the games? It would really suck to be someone that's helped the team all season and have to watch them from home. Uh, I can answer this one. Yes, they are allowed. I, I believe the, I, I looked up the rule unrelated to this question, but recently I think the, the rule book says within reason that like injured players and taxi squad players can be there. Uh, everyone who's contributed to the Mets this year is going to be, who, who's still with the organization, is going to be on that taxi squad for the postseason. So uh, unless the Mets try to get like 70 guys in the dugout, I think they'll all be there. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not everyone. It's probably a, a, like three or four extra guys. Um, like, but the injured it, guys are allowed to be in the dugout. Yeah, like, like, you know, other, like yeah. Tommy Hunter will be allowed to be there. Um, the the <laughs> An interesting thing, if the Mets do face the Phillies uh, and Zach Wheeler... Uh, Wheeler was was not uh, happy in 2015. Uh, he wanted to be at City Field uh, for the playoffs, uh, and the Mets. Uh, I, I don't think he was allowed to be in the the clubhouse and dugout because he hadn't played for them all season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asked the Mets, like, could he be in a, a special suite or something? And they said no. Um, and then <laughs> he said, well, wait, can I go Mets. to the game? Yeah. And they said, sure. Here's what tickets cost. Um, and so, oh gosh, that's classic. That's such a Mets, that's such a 2015 Mets move. And so Zach Wheeler, I don't I don't believe attended any postseason games in City Field that year, uh, and may get a chance to you've in made, the next couple only, days. You've only pissed him off more. Oh, that's great. Um, the second question, and then we'll wrap up. This is a very straightforward one. Patrick wants to know via Twitter, who do you see winning the NL Rookie of the Year award? Uh, that's as easy a cue I think as we've gotten all season. It's going to be Michael Harris from the Braves. I mean, I think you can make a case for Strider. Uh, I thought it was interesting when uh, when Alex Anthopoulos, uh, Atlanta's general manager, was on the Starkville <laughs> podcast on, on the Athletic Baseball Show with with Jason Stark and Doug Glanville. You know, they asked him what kind of what triggered Atlanta's turnaround on on June first, and he pointed to you know putting Strider in the rotation, really solidifying that fifth spot. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what Harris has done, you know, Harris is now hitting third for them in the middle of their order. It's it's not like he's, uh, you know, he's he's been a really good ninth place hitter all season. You know, it's it's a guy who's who's playing uh, superb defense in center field at a premium defensive position and hitting third for a hundred win team. Uh, that I, I think my my answer to that has probably changed over the last two weeks since Strider got hurt. Yeah, but it is probably Harris. Right. If Strider finishes up the season, then he's got a case. But but I think it's Harris. An interesting tidbit before we go: if Harris hits one home run in the next two games, he'll be only the sixth rookie in Major League history to go twenty twenty, a twenty home runs, twenty steals, but the third this season. I know it is it is a remarkable class of rookies. You know, like. In the AL, you've got Julio Rodriguez and and Adley Rutschman, uh, both having like clear Rookie of the Year campaigns. I think Rodriguez probably wins it there, uh, but uh, it is you know it it speaks to the health of the game that we've got guys coming in uh, and and playing as well as they are. And uh, if you are a Mets fan, you hope that uh, next year we're having this kind of conversation about Francisco Alvarez and and Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos, all of them. We will be back later in the week to preview the Mets postseason matchup because we'll know what it is by then. Uh, Until that time, Tim, peace out. Adios.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.